Seth Bertelny spent a decade at Goal.com before becoming the managing editor at USA Today's Pro Soccer Wire. Today, we dive deep into the recent abuse allegations in women's soccer. So come along on that journey with us today on It's Called Soccer. Seth Bertelny from the Pro Soccer Wire joins us today on It's Called Soccer. Seth, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. So most of the time I have people from Twitter or other YouTubers come on to interview about the U.S. men's national team or U.S. soccer in general. I thought it'd be really great to get an actual journalist on here to talk about some of the the things happening within the U.S. Soccer Federation today. Um, But I kind of wanted to start at step one. You've been covering soccer since publications really started their push to capture the American audience. You were at Goal.com for a while. Um, what have you seen in the coverage landscape change and also in the fan landscape over the last few years? Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, I think that catering towards the American soccer fan can be challenging because the American soccer fan, as it is, can be interested in so many different things, you know, whether it's just European stuff or whether it's just domestic stuff or whether it's a little bit of both or whether it's just men's stuff or whether it's just women's stuff or a little bit of both. So, um, you know, we, we face a unique challenge sometimes I feel like in the, um, American soccer media because the American soccer fan can be so wildly different from a different American soccer fan. And so I think you just kind of have to, to, to follow, um, where the audience tells you to go. I think that we have enough stuff going on domestically to, um, to fill up multiple websites. Um, but I, I also think sometimes you can't lose, lose track of the, of the fact that there are people that, you know, don't really follow our domestic leagues and don't follow our domestic teams. And, and and so, um, I think that, um, making sure that, that you, you cater to a wide audience uh, is is important. Do you have an origin story of kind of the team or league that you really started to fall in love with and, and got you interested in the game? Yeah, I mean, I was always a soccer player. Um, I think like a lot of kids growing up in this country, um, you know, we played soccer, uh, played youth soccer, and, and maybe maybe weren't so aware of the fact that there actually was professional soccer and there, there was a higher level that you could follow on television. And, you know, this was during the kind of early days of, of more widespread availability of soccer on TV. And so, you know, when I started playing soccer and getting a little bit older and, and realizing I could watch games from the, the premier league on, on Fox sports world, um, shout out to anyone who remembers that channel. Um, and I think that's what sort of got me more into soccer as, as a fan um, and, and not just as a, as a hobby that I did on the weekends. Um, and so, you know, I think the, the explosion of popularity of soccer in our country really follows with the explosion of availability on television, you know, early 2000s into the 2010s with more games available from Europe, more international games um, to where we are now, um, where, you know, on a given weekend, you can spend your entire day watching European soccer from, from morning until late afternoon. And 
watch games from leagues all over the world, um, not just Europe, South America, international games. And so um, I think for me, it just kind of followed with the availability of, of soccer on television and, and realizing that I was uh, I was also a fan of the sport. It wasn't just a, a, a sport that that I played um, for fun on the weekends. Yeah. And then how did you get into covering the game? Football is back and Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your football betting needs this season. You'll find the latest odds, matchup info, player news, and game trends. And as your continued source for all sports wagering info, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, live scores, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events like MLB, MMA, tennis, boxing, golf, and even the best sport in the world, soccer. Head to betonline.ag to join and receive your 100% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Please remember to gamble responsibly. Um, so I started off as a, um, as a volunteer at Goal um, in the the late 2000s, like 2009, 2010, um, I, I wrote for the website. And um, eventually I, I, I started working there as an editor on a part-time basis. Um, and then eventually I started um, covering soccer there on a full-time basis as an editor. And, um, you know, while I was at Goal, my, my role changed um, a little bit here and there, but kind of the the base of responsibilities that I had remained the same, which was being an editor on the website and, and writing about soccer all over the world. But specifically um, over the, the last couple of years of my time at goal, my beat was more American women's soccer. Um, I covered the U S women's team and WSL. Um, and so I, I ended up being at goal for around 10 years um, until I, um, I got this job at, at pro soccer wire earlier this year. Um, which I'm, I'm really excited about because, um, you know, it's a chance to, to be part of something from the ground floor, to be a part of something new, to, to have a little bit more influence in, in shaping the direction that the, that the site goes. Um, and also just having um, a company like Annette behind it that, that really has shown that it's willing to, to invest in, in American soccer coverage. I think it's really exciting. Do you feel a weight of responsibility now being the managing editor for a network that, so it's owned by USA Today, is that right? So it seems like there's a lot of weight that you you carry by being the managing editor of this this publication. Yeah, like I said, I um, I see it as a, a real opportunity to to kind of shape the the coverage of a of a new site. Um, you know, I think you can view it as a responsibility. I like to view it as a, as an opportunity because. Um, because you're right that the name USA Today um, carries carries some weight. You know, we have USA Today in our URL. We're part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Um, but I also want to be our own entity. You know, I want to to create our own voice. Um, you know, USA Today uh, covers soccer too, um, and we are part of the same family. But um, we have kind of our our own unique niche that I'm I'm, I'm looking to fill. Um, so I think it's it's really exciting to 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 see a, a company like Annette, the the parent company of USA Today, uh, 
say that they want to to invest more in American soccer coverage. And I'm just excited to see where we can take this. I, I, I hope that um, over the, the year, the next year or two, you know, we can grow our, our, um, our imprint on the game and grow our staff and, and, um, you know, become a, a well-known name out there in uh, the American soccer media landscape. Awesome. Well, I hope all of our viewers today go out and check out the website and see some of the awesome articles that are coming out. And I feel like I just wanted to take this opportunity because there is some really big stories happening within U.S. soccer right now, specifically within the Federation and NWSL with the Sally Yates Independent Report uh, on some abuses in women's soccer. So, Seth, can you just help us break down what is currently happening within the Soccer Federation and NWSL because of this independent report? Yeah, there there really has been a, a big fallout from this report um, just over the last few days. You know, the the reaction to the report, I think in 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 general, it's been shock, but but not surprise um, because we've known about some of these really dark elements within the women's game um, for, for the last year, but, but seeing it spelled out the way that it was seeing the kind of dereliction of duty uh, among so many officials and, and executives and owners within the game has been, you know, really troubling to, to see kind of broken down in such a, a systematic way that, that, that Sally Yates did. Um, and there were, also new revelations, um, you know, specifically about Christy Hawley. We didn't know much about um, why he was fired by racing Louisville. And, and now we know some, some pretty horrifying details there, but um, yeah, you're right. There has been um, a real uh, kind of swift reaction. Um, you know, we've seen a few sponsors um, put out some statements saying that they're, you know, viewing the events that, that, that follow very skeptically and, and wondering whether they're going to continue their, their sponsorship of the game um, or, or, or specific teams. Um, but, you know, the, the real fallout has been um, in Portland um, where um, Merritt Paulson, the owner said he was going to take a step back um, from, from running the team. Also their um, director of business, uh, Mike Golub and, um, their uh, president of soccer, Gavin Wilkinson, took a step back with him. Um, but then a day later, um, we saw kind of a, a reversal where Wilkinson and Golub were actually fired. Um, so it was kind of an interesting uh, 24 hours there where, you know, there was a decision taken to for all three of them to step back. And then quickly, they, um, not sure why, but decided that um, there needed to be more done. Um, and, you know, I, I think that folks in Portland have been calling for for big changes for a long time and, and specifically Wilkinson to, to lose his job and, and, and Golub as well. And so, um, you know, that was the start. Um, I don't think it's the end because um, there are plenty who've been calling for, for Paulson to sell the team as well. Um, it is kind of interesting to think about what the thought process was behind the initial statement followed by the reversal 24 hours later um, in terms of who's making decisions and why those decisions were made. Um, but certainly uh, a lot of the fan base in Portland were calling for Wilkinson and Golub to be let go a long time ago. Um, 
this dates back to the original um, athletic article from a year ago um, where uh, it was it was clear that that Wilkinson um, didn't do uh, enough to you know kind of prevent Paul Riley from getting another job within the league. Um, Golub has been accused of kind of fostering a toxic environment, uh, but then there were more details in the Yates report of, of all all of their revolt. There were more details in the Yates report of all three of their roles um, in terms of how Paul Riley got shuffled between their organization and the organization that became the North Carolina Courage. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that a lot of people are going to be fully satisfied by uh, Wilkinson and Gall being fired. I think they're going to view it as a first step. But um, for a long time now, there have been calls for for Paulson to sell the team. Um not the least of which was uh, Megan Rapino in the press conference before the U.S. England game, saying that she didn't think Paulson was fit to be an owner in the NWSL anymore. And uh, of course, it's also complicated by the fact that Paulson owns the Portland Timbers in MLS as well. Um, so he would have to sell both teams probably if he were to kind of exit the space. And it's it's unclear if he's going to do so. Um, there's also been some fallout um, in Chicago um, where the Owner Arnhem Whistler in the Yates report um, was shown to have kind of dismissed or ignore complaints about the former Red Stars coach, Rory Dames. Um, I think one of the quotes attributed to Whistler was it was just Rory being Rory, um, which in, in hindsight is um, pretty gross uh, based on the things we now know that Dames is accused of. Um, the, the Red Stars board of directors actually ousted Whistler from his position as chairman of the board this week, um, which is significant, but at the same time does not mean that he isn't the owner of the team anymore. Um, it does not mean that he's being forced to sell. Um, so I think the future of, of Whistler and Paulson is going to be one of the, the major storylines to follow from the fallout of the, the Yates report. Yeah, and you mentioned Megan Rapino, some of her comments before the women's national team kicks off against England later today. The players, not just Rapino, have been outspoken on their horror and, like you said, not necessarily surprised on the findings. So pair that with the excitement and the sellout crowd of 90,000 at Wembley that the U.S. women's national team will play in front of. They're the number one team in the world right now playing the Euros champion. So what do you think is the environment and the vibe within the U.S. women's national team right now? Yeah, it's a it's a really strange juxtaposition of emotions, I'm sure. Um, and the 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 national team players that have spoken to the media about it have have kind of talked about how you know this is going to be such a big occasion, um, sellout crowd. The the tickets sold out in about 24 hours. Um, it's going to be, I believe, the second largest crowd the U.S. Women's National Team has ever played in front of, um, only trailing the '99 final at the at the Rose Bowl. Um, so this is this is a big moment, and it should be a celebration. But because of everything that was revealed in the Yates report, um, it's hard to feel like celebrating right now. And 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 so I think that the the U.S. players are going to really try to to put everything aside once they get on the field and 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 focus on the game and focus on the moment and and try to find some joy in this because um, it's it's really an indication of how far the women's game has come. That 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 an occasion like this can take place. But of course, earlier this week, we saw how far the women's game still has to go because of the, the, the people 
that uh, have been involved and still are involved uh, in, in leadership roles that have failed the players on, on so many levels over, over such a long period of time. So uh, it, it'll be, it'll be a big moment and it should be a great game, but um, it won't exactly be the uh, celebratory occasion that, that maybe we were expecting a week ago. Yeah, I guess in the short and medium term for the NWSL and the U.S. Soccer Federation, do you think there will be any major changes to how things work? Well, I think the one thing that we need to sort of wait on is the conclusion of the joint investigation between the NWSL and the NWSL Players Association. Um, They are covering a lot of the same territory as the Yates investigation, but... um, you know, they're going to probably have some some revelations that weren't in the Yates investigation. And, and because this is actually run by the league, I think that some of its findings might be a little bit harder to ignore in terms of making changes um, on the league level. Because the thing about the, the Yates investigation is it found a lot of information, but it didn't have any sort of power to enforce rules or change rules. It was just something that ended with recommendations. Whereas this NWSL investigation, this is the league itself doing it. And so I think once that is completed, um, which should be in the next month or so, um, then we can really start to think about what sort of recommendations it comes up with and what sort of changes that we'll see. Um, I think that the, the Yates report, did come up with a lot of uh, recommendations and, and ideas that, that will be implemented. I think the league investigation will come up with some, some different ones and maybe there will be some overlap too, as, as far as what they recommend. But um, certainly there, there are some real concrete steps that, that can, and I think will be taken to avoid um, similar situations like this happening. And I think it's important to, emphasize that that this is not something that only happened in the NWSL. This is a culture that begins at the youth level um, where um, it's a little bit harder to to enforce rules um, and recommendations just because there are millions and millions of of kids playing youth soccer all across the U.S. And so um, I think it has to be a top-down approach, but I also think the, the ideas that come out of these investigations uh, as best as they can really need to be transmitted to the grassroots level. Yeah, I guess in some lighter news there, the other national team is taking on the World Cup in November in Qatar. So just to switch over to the men's team for a moment, in your opinion, was the September camp a result of some of Greg's struggles on the coaching side or was it due more to having so many injuries and players out of form with the U S men's national team? Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I mean, elaborate. <laughs> it's, I mean, I think what, what the September, what the September window showed us was there are certain players that are just fundamental to the U S success and just can't be replaced easily. Um, three of them that really stuck out for me, were Anthony Robinson, Eunice Musa, and and Tim Weah. I think without those three players, the the U.S. doesn't function nearly as well um, as we saw. Um, 
at the same time, um, you can't absolve Burhalter blame. And I think that, you know, his stock as the U.S. coach has been up and down during his tenure. But but right now, um, about six weeks before the World Cup, it's it's at a pretty low level because it just seems like there are some fundamental problems with how this team wants to play, with how this team wants to attack um, that haven't been solved. And and I think there there are some issues that were forced by injuries. Um, but other issues, uh, I don't, I don't think you can necessarily explain away as easily. Just like, why can't they beat a press better? Um, why can't their best players seem to, to, to show up in these, these games that are their friendlies, but they, they matter because they're so close to the world cup. Um, why haven't we found a solution at striker? Uh, why haven't we found a solution at center back next to, to Walker Zimmerman? Um, you know, part of it's personnel, but but part of it just kind of be seems to be down to to Burhalter. And you know, the, the the big question with him is is his emphasis on system over personnel the right way to go? Um, given that this is a national team that isn't together very often, and and might need to actually have a, a system fitted around the the players that it has rather than exclude players that, that could help the team because they don't fit the system. Do you ever find it difficult to remove your kind of natural optimism or pessimism towards a player or a coach in reporting on those players and coaches? Um, sometimes. Yeah. I think, you know, I think there's certain players um, like, for example, Christian Pulisic um, it's, it's been hard in his career, just as somebody who cares about American soccer to not want him to succeed because he, you know, since the moment that he, he came up with Dortmund um, has been kind of the standard bearer for, for Americans playing abroad and, and kind of reached these heights that, that we had never really seen um, as American soccer fans, at least in a really long time, just in terms of somebody playing at, such a big club and such big games as a, at such a, such a young age. And, you know, there, there was this, this sense that he was kind of carrying the torch for, for what an American could be in terms of reaching these heights in Europe. And, and over the last few years, we've seen other players join him um, at these, at these high levels, but um, you know, putting all objectivity aside, I, I am someone who cares about American soccer and wants American soccer to reach as high level pos- as possible and succeed as much as possible for, for so many different reasons. And so, so yeah, I think, you know, following someone like, like his career, um, sometimes you do kind of want to give him that extra little push and hope that he succeeds because, um, you know, he's, he's represented so much more than just himself. What if he reads one of your articles that are optimistic about him and that helps push him into his next game? You could I'm, be the reason. I, I mean, <laughs> I hope that, that Christian Pulisic is a regular pro soccer wire reader. Um, <laughs> I sort of doubt it. Um, but, you know, Christian, if you want to come to our site and, and check out our stuff, we've got a lot of great stuff. It's not just about you. It's about all kinds of American soccer. So, you know, we'll, uh, we'll be happy to have you as a reader. Awesome. Well, Christian Pulisic is something to look forward to in the World Cup. Also, something to look forward to is Ian Dark is back 
commentating on some U.S. games, and I'm hoping for some legendary commentary there. What are you most looking forward to at this World Cup? Yeah, so um, it'll be interesting to see if they actually put Ian Dark on on the U.S. games because he's not part of their uh, top announcing duo, and usually they save the marquee games for them. So I think it might be. Do you think we'll have Chad Johnson instead? I hope. I hope. <laughs> let's just. You know what? Let's let's not even have a, a commentary duo. Like, let's just put Chad Johnson alone to call U.S. games. I think that would be the ideal way for for this to work. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think yeah, we'll probably see John Strong and Stu Holden cover the U.S. games. Um, but I mean, you know, there's there's a lot to look forward to at this World Cup. Uh, you know, just beyond the U.S., um, I think it'll be really interesting from from a regional perspective to see how Canada does. Um, you know, they've been kind of a sleeping giant in our region for a really long time. And they seem to have finally woken up over the last year or two. Um, so see how Canada gets along with their first world cup since 1986, um, Mexico, you know, forever in search of that fifth game. Um, I think it's been like four, maybe even five consecutive world cups now where they've gone out in the round of 16. So they've been kind of looking to see if they can get over that, that hurdle. Um, and then, you know, on a, on a bigger level, I think, you know, one of the big storylines is it's kind of the last dance for two of the all-time greats, uh, Ronaldo and Messi. You know, Messi has announced that it's going to be his final World Cup. I mean, I can't imagine that Ronaldo is going to play another World Cup considering he's 37. Um, so, um, you know, both of those players have won their uh, Confederations championships with the Euros and, and Copa America, but neither of them has a World Cup. So seeing if they could sign off with the World Cup is going to be uh, – you know, a big storyline to follow. Is Argentina going to be the winner? Are you going for the good news story for Lionel Messi? I mean, it, it would be, it would be poetic. And, and it does seem like if you had to pick three or four favorites, Argentina and Brazil would be definitely among that group. I think a lot of the European teams uh, are talented, but flawed. Whereas um, Argentina and Brazil are both, you know, playing at a really high level and, and don't seem to have a whole lot of weaknesses and are kind of, right are coming right into form right at, at, at the at the perfect time but at the same time you know you get into a knockout format and anything can happen over over one game so it's hard it's hard to pick a favorite but certainly Argentina and Brazil um, are two of the teams that that I would be expecting to to go far in this tournament yeah awesome well Seth for telling me thank you so much for joining us on the it's called soccer channel bring us home with your last word what do you want to say to the people on this channel uh, well, I I want to say that I like the name of your podcast because it is <laughs> it's called it is called soccer in the end. Um, and you know, uh, no, I I'm I'm uh, I don't know. I just uh, I'm 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 happy to have uh, so much support of, of so many American soccer fans who've been visiting our site and visiting other sites. And um, just I'm looking forward to the first world cup in eight years with with the u.s men and we'll go right into another women's world cup in six months and and so it's uh it's exciting times for for american soccer awesome well thank you so much for joining us everyone watching please go check out pro soccer wire we'll see you next time on it's called soccer this is the story of the one as head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.